Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, world. I am Reverend Adrian L. Robinson II, a.k.a. Rev. Rob, and this is Deeper in the Word, where we give you the real about Scripture with people who actually know and understand it so that you can get a better grasp of what certain things in the Bible mean, how they relate to your life and experience, and how you can apply something written so long ago to what you're going through right now. Today's episode, my friends, and thanks for joining us today. Today's episode is entitled Final Destination. Final Destination. And since y'all know this ain't a movie review show, clearly, clearly, we're not about to get our Siskel and Ebert on and discuss that powerhouse trilogy movie franchise of the same name, Final Destination. Although I did hear that they're coming out with a part six next year. I mean, dang, how many different ways can you find to kill people? But no, 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 friends. Today we're going to be discussing the theological concepts of heaven and hell. Get it? Final Destination, heaven and hell. (laughs) It's funny because it's true. And off top, I got to say this. Listen, we left a lot. I'm talking about a lot of information on the cutting room floor for this episode. Meaning there was the gang of stuff we wanted to bring up with respect to this topic. People, questions that people have specifically about heaven and hell. But we just quite simply do not have the time to cover it all. So that being said, anything we don't cover in this episode related to the concepts of heaven and hell that you want us to cover, that you wanted us to to go over, but you didn't hear it, just email us here at the show at at benevolentfaithministries.org and just let us know so that we can plan plan all of that around a future episode. Because for real, I'm telling you, there's a lot of things we wanted to cover when it came to these two ideals. But we just can't. We ain't got no time for all that. So instead, we're going to cover some of the basics behind these two ideals. And again, we encourage you to get at us if you want to hear more related to them. See, heaven and hell are two core ideals behind Christian theology. Theology is simply a word that means the systematic study of the nature of God and of religious beliefs. Theology is basically the study of God and who he is and how we go about living our lives based on who he is and what he says he wants from us. That's all theology is. And theologically speaking, the doctrine of hell relates to heaven and hell. It relates to personal eschatology. You like, wait a minute, what? Well, basically, eschatology is that part of theology that deals with death and the final judgment and the final destiny of the human soul and the fate of mankind after you die, yada, yada, all that good stuff like that there. In other words, personal eschatology deals with the question, is your ultimate and eternal destiny heaven or is it hell? Because if you're a follower of Christ, you already know where you're going. Or at least you should know. Or at least I hope you know. And if you don't, you need to holler at us here in Deep in the Word. We'll be happy to discuss that with you. But and yet, 
Despite God's gracious offer of redemption and salvation for us through our faith in Christ, not everybody is going to be redeemed, yo. And again, theologically speaking, those unredeemed folks who reject God, they're the ones that are destined for hell. Again, that's Christian theology. But of course, not everyone believes what the Christian believes or what the follower of Christ believes. Not everyone subscribes to our theological things. And when it comes to the concept of heaven and hell, as perceived by the secular world, the non-believing world, the main opposition to these two concepts comes in the form of non-belief. That is, people who don't subscribe to any faith or belief system are usually the most critical people when it comes to acknowledging heaven and hell as being real places. In fact, you could poll a broad cross-section of people, from scholars to religious groups, all of that good stuff, or from people who doubt the existence of it to people who don't, a broad cross-section. And you'd still be hard-pressed to find agreement amongst any of those people as to what either heaven or hell are truly like or whether or not they're actually real places. There's no consensus opinion on either place. Now, just for starters, let's take the concept of hell, for instance. And there's a reason we start with that destination instead of heaven. And we'll get to all that later. But while some people think of it as an actual place of torment, other people might tell you right to your face, brother, I'm living in hell on earth right now. I ain't worried about no supposed place after I'm gone. I'm going through hell right now. (laughs) You might even know somebody like that. And those are the type of folks that are often dwelling in seemingly hopeless situations. And where there ain't no hope, there's no faith in anything. That makes sense. Well, at least from a logical standpoint. Now, some people might think of hell as simply the state of ceasing to exist or being in a state where you're separated from the comfort and protection of God. But here's a truth that you might not know about the concept of hell and heaven. And it's not a theological truth either. And that's this. Since the beginning of recorded history, regardless of whatever their culture or their religion was, people, different people groups, have believed in a concept of a hell or a place hellish in scope and a heaven or a place heavenly in scope, even if it wasn't called that by those people. They may not have called it hell, they may not have called it heaven, but they believed in those places. It's it's an archeological and scientific fact that primitive societies, even ones who never heard of the God of the Bible, believed that for the people amongst them who were good, there was a place of peace and rest after you die. And that there was a place of torment and darkness waiting for the fate of people who were wicked and evil. See, in a lot of ways, when you think about it, ancient people were a lot more perceptive than us, even though we're so far technologically advanced than they were. Now, why do I say that? Because they held true to age-old sensibilities, and it served them well. For instance, they believed that life consisted of opposites that contrasted each other. Life and death, 
light and darkness, heat and cold, good and evil, yin and yang, peanut butter and jelly, and ultimately heaven and hell. So it didn't matter what it was called. The idea was universally recognized that after this life, there are one or two places that a person could go. And again, that's not biblical, that's not religious, that's a fact from humanity, civilization, the history of civilization. Do the research for yourself, you ain't gotta believe me. You know how we always say on this show, you don't have to take our word for it. Look it up for yourself, edify yourself, okay? Heaven and hell are foundational aspects of Christian theology. We see, yeah, they were, they were uh, foundational aspects of civilization, but we're talking about us, okay? And for us, heaven and hell are foundational aspects of our theology. But too often, particularly in the contemporary church, today's church, both of these foundational aspects aren't preached enough, okay? You, you got more leaning toward preaching lean, that leans towards one and not the other. See, there was a time when churches back in the day would have what were called revival meetings. And the original purpose of a revival meeting was to inspire active members of a church body to go out and gain new converts. And typically what they would do is they would utilize this and they would do this through the use of a fiery sermon that was preached about how people should repent of their sins in order to avoid going to hell. Almost like shock therapy. You show up, you invite people, they come, and then you point at them. You're going to hell if you don't repent. Repent now and be saved. And people in the audience be like, oh, dang, I guess I better repent now and be saved. It was very effective. And the people would respond to these revivals in mass and give their lives to Christ. But again, the core element of the revivalist's preaching was the stressing of hell as a final destination for those who didn't, quote, accept Christ before it was too late. And I'm talking about people would respond in mass. I saw one Billy Graham sermon where he was in a stadium. And when he did the altar call, man, half the stadium came out. It was like 10,000 people in the stadium. Seriously, go back and listen to some of those older Billy Graham sermons. The ones in black and white when TV was still in its heyday. TV was still brand new. <laughs> Billy Graham was getting at people. Like, he then repent or findeth the foot of angels upon thy buttocks. <laughs> like, look, I'm not trying to trivialize one of the greatest preachers of the 20th century. I'm saying, Billy Graham was not playing with you. <laughs> oh, you go repent. You go get this Holy Ghost word. Okay? And I'm going to point it out to you so that you recognize it. Go back and watch some of them old Billy Graham sermons, boy. He was not for play-play. Okay? But now fast forward to today. Why don't we hear preaching or teaching like this going on today? See, what, what had happened was, well, frankly, let's just be real. It ain't popular to preach like that. And it doesn't make people feel good. And when people don't feel good, they don't come to church. And when people don't come to church, they don't give their offerings. And when people don't get their offerings, pastors start getting secular jobs. You feel me? In fact, a recent survey of evangelical seminary students indicated that nearly half of them felt that preaching about hell to unbelievers is, quote, 
in poor taste. Poor taste? Poor taste? Oh, I'm sorry. See, I was under the impression that we preach the word as is, not to our liking. What kind of thinking is that? And in what way are Christian institutions of higher learning teaching that would lead these students to even think that? <laughs> preach about heaven and everybody loves you. Preach about hell and need to repent. There's a different story. And in fact, the past 50 years, hell has become a lot more acceptable to the modern world. And in our times, when technology and other advancements have made mankind to be feeling himself more than he ever has, hell has been redefined in terms of society and the world. You hear people saying stuff like, well, who cares about hell? At least I'll be away from my boss or my job. That's real hell. <laughs> I'm just saying. Now, by contrast, more people are prone to believe in the concept of heaven than they are in hell. Because by and large, people would prefer to see themselves as going to heaven, probably because it might simply be easier for the human mind to accept the concept of a place where things are pleasant than it is for the human mind to accept the concept of a place where things are, shall we say, highly unpleasant? I mean, think about it. Heaven is generally considered a wonderful place up there. Suggested of an, of suggestive of an area that's in close proximity to where God is children, to where God lives, where God resides. And that's why people always point up when they're speaking about heaven. Now, even though there is more agreement on the concept of heaven than there is on the concept of hell, what many people do disagree on is the precise mechanism for getting to heaven. Or rather, they disagree on how you get into heaven, okay? And that's where the theological rubber meets the road, so to speak. Because the Bible teaches that entry into heaven is not about being a good person or about doing good works. Instead, you can only get to heaven through an acceptance of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And again, if you don't believe in Christ, then what does that do in terms of your personal eschatology or your ultimate destination after this life. See, that's why it's critical that whenever we're considering the question of whether heaven and hell are or are not real places, we need to base our analyses and opinions on what the Bible and Jesus in particular have to say on the matter. And so we're going to do that coming up. We're going to examine what the Bible has to say about heaven and hell being real places. And we're going to start doing that after we come back from the break. My name is Christopher James McClendon. I am a professional Christian counselor. I am offering an eight-week Christian counseling group 100% online. During the eight weeks, I will personally walk you through my book, Seven Steps to Receiving God's Blessing. This group provides measurable results. I believe in faith and works. The Bible is God's word and science is God's works. Therefore, I integrate the two to help bring about healing in the lives of others. If following these seven steps motivated my recovery from permanent paralysis, imagine what it can do for you. Find out more by visiting stateanchor.org or call 678-723-6800. You can also follow me on Instagram at saltpc. Are you looking to complete a home purchase? Whether you're a buyer or a seller, Meister Home Inspections, or MHI, 
offers professional and accurate home inspection services throughout the Northeast Atlanta area that provide home buyers and sellers, as well as their agents, with the information they need to successfully complete any home purchase. Visit their website at mhihomeinspection.com, that's mhihomeinspection.com to learn more or to set up your home inspection appointment today. That was my quiet storm version. <laughs> Welcome back to Deeper in the Word. As a reminder, you can subscribe and listen to us on Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Radio Public, Pocket Casts, Overcast, and on Apple Podcasts in the iTunes Store. What's up to all of our listeners on all the podcast platforms? And we thank all of our podcast platform sponsors. Also, don't forget to email us, like I said before, at info at benevolentfaithministries.org to send us your questions and comments for the show, including anything you hear today that don't answer none of your questions about heaven and hell. Get at us. And remember, we want you also to join us every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Central, 4 p.m. Pacific. I don't know what time on the other side of the world, but you're welcome to join us as well for our online church services. Just go to benevolentfaithministries.online.church. You can create a screen nickname and chat along with us during the service. We have a lot of fun, and we encourage you to come out and fellowship with us. Also, check out our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube, and in that search box, enter Benevolent Faith Ministries, and you can see all of our videos, including past Bible studies that we've done that you can still do and follow along with, uh, online services that we've done, and previously aired episodes of our TV show, Walk in the Word, which will be airing new episodes through the end of November 2020. So check the show out, please. Finally, starting in November, we're going to be beginning an important new study series. I've been talking about it for a couple of weeks. We're doing it in conjunction with our giving partner, Prison Fellowship, and it's entitled Outrageous Justice, where we're going to be learning all about our responsibility as believers to enact and maintain social justice including our roles in bringing about reforms of the current criminal justice and prison systems. We have a responsibility to that. And so as believers, and the word says something about that. So we can't wait for that study and look out for more info on that coming up as soon as well. But today, today's show is entitled Final Destination. And we're examining the biblical concepts of heaven and hell, particularly whether or not they are real places and the justification behind that belief. And in our last segment, we outlined how the secular world or non-religious world views the concepts of heaven and hell. And as we outlined, many non-religious people groups throughout history have a much easier time believing in the concept of heaven than they do in the concept of hell. That is, non-believers are more prone to think that there's a pleasant place for you after this life is is over than they are to think that there's a far less pleasant place awaiting for you after this life. And part of that probably has to do with people being afraid to conduct true self-examination. Didn't Michael tell y'all it starts with the man in the mirror? See, it's hard for people to be honest with themselves. Because when you have to look truthfully at yourself, you're forced to acknowledge where you lack morally 
That is, you're forced to acknowledge how trifling you really are. In your character, in your attitudes, in your actions, you're forced to acknowledge that. And nobody likes to have their flaws and shortcomings pointed out to them. Not even when Almighty God himself is the one doing the pointing. So people deliberately shun the truth. The truth about themselves, but also the truth about who God is and what God expects of them. And when you do that, then yeah, it's going to be hard for you to process truth about the things of God, like the concepts of heaven and hell. And like we said in the previous segment, heaven and hell are not strictly Christian nor religious doctrines, and many civilizations, it has been proven throughout history, demonstrated a propensity towards believing in an afterlife that consisted of either a good place to go or a bad place to go. It's a fact. So not only are the doctrines of heaven and hell not simply just non-religious ideologies, but as we as believers know and follow, these doctrines are biblically supported and have been accepted by the Christian church throughout the centuries. Okay, so let's get to it. What does the Bible say about these places? Again, let's start with hell because like we said, people have a harder time accepting that than they do heaven. But first of all, what does the Bible say about hell? It says that hell is under the earth according to Philippians 2.10 and and Revelations 5.13. Philippians 2.10 says, so that the name of Jesus, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Okay? So that's three different places where where the people worshiping God are. They're in heaven, they're on the earth, and they're under the earth. That's three different places. Okay? Look at Revelations 5.13. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. So that's under the earth. Okay. So we're seeing that's a real place and it's located under the earth. Now, there are two descriptions of hell in the Bible. Remember, we're being very general here because hell is talked about in depth in the Bible, but again, basics. We're giving you the foundation. And there's two descriptions of hell, generally speaking, in the Bible. One is of burning fire, and the other is a place of, quote, outer darkness, where there is, quote, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay? Jesus often used the word Gehenna to describe hell. Okay? Now, Gehenna was a real place, though. And it was located in a small valley outside of Jerusalem. And it was basically a refuge dump or a garbage dump where the fires were kept burning to burn up the garbage so that the area wouldn't stink. They burned the garbage to keep the stench down. Now, it was also a location where the bodies of executed criminals or other individuals who were denied a proper burial would be dumped. And in fact, in a lot of ways, the ancient Romans and the Jews pretty much invented the trash collection process. But in this way, with regard to Gaina and where it was and what they did there, both Jewish and Christian folks saw it as being comparable to hell. And again, we can't go all in depth into that because there's a reason for that. But we encourage y'all to do your Googles and learn the history about Gaina. It's pretty fascinating. 
And when you learn in history, they're going to reveal to you just why people thought of this place as being comparable to hell. Now, in Mark chapter 9, verses 43 to 48, Jesus describes hell as a place with worms, maggots, and fire and trouble. I ain't making that up. Look at the text. And these two allusions, that to Gana as a fiery garbage dump, and that of hell as a place where, according to Jesus, the fire is not quenched. Look at the text. It says it. This is where we get the concept of perpetual burning in hell. And Jesus says this in the text of Mark chapter 9, verses 43 to 48, like I said, about how the evil ones in hell are full of remorse and torment. I mean, you would be too if you was burning up. Dang. And Jesus also describes hell as an outer, quote, outer darkness. He said that some, by, some people in his day would, quote, will be cast out into outer darkness and that there will be, quote, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Again, scripture, Matthew 8, 12. While the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. As Jesus. Look at Matthew 22, 13. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now here, with his use of the phrase outer darkness, Jesus is painting the image of somebody suffering in terrible loneliness. And that loneliness stems from the separation from God that the man or woman would have. Jesus is saying that people who are condemned to hell would be put out into the inky blackness of eternity. And they ain't gonna have nobody to turn to. They ain't gonna have nobody to talk to. And they're going to be constantly alone. And they're gonna suffer the remorse of knowing that they had the opportunity to get into heaven with children with God. Their whole lives, they had an opportunity to accept Christ, but they turned it down. And that's what their eternity is going to be spent, being reminded that you turn this down, bro. You didn't have to be here. But once you get there, it's too late. Ain't no exit from hell. Ain't no way out. Ain't no second chances. Which again is what makes accepting and receiving the pardon that God extends to all mankind through Christ's death on the cross, it what makes that so critical to achieving our eternal happiness. That's why people, that's why Billy Graham was stressing that. Repent or you going to hell. Because Jesus is telling you right now, once you get there, too late, homie. All that gnashing of teeth and weeping, it's going to be too late. Now look, we just covered a, a couple verses in this concept. Concept. And we can literally sit here all day and discuss all the verses where Jesus talked about heaven. But for the sake of time, we recommend that you read the following scripture passages which speak to this and write them down. And if you don't give them the first time, rewind this and write it down. And that's this. Matthew chapter 5, verses 29 and 30. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. Matthew chapter 11, verse 23. Matthew chapter 13, verses 40 to 41. Matthew chapter 13, verses 49 and 50. Matthew chapter 22, verse 13. Switch it up. We just said Mark chapter 9, verses 43 to 48. Also, Luke chapter 12, verse 5, and Luke 16, verses 19 to 31. So, there's your biblical context there. And while hell, while heaven is a pleasant topic to talk about, and hell is not a pleasant topic to talk about. It's important to understand both of them 
in their biblical context. And again, we can't really get into it as complex as we would like, but suffice it to say, you can do plenty of research on your own to further explore the doctrines of heaven and hell, which is again, why we encourage y'all to look up those verses we just named, as well as the other items of discussion that we've referenced so far. And so here, here we are. Is there really a place of total darkness, eternal suffering, constant pain, loneliness, weeping and wailing and gnashing or grinding of teeth? A place where there ain't no light, no joy, no laughter, no happiness, where there ain't no fellowship, where you're not getting no mercy, where you're not getting no forgiveness and you're daggone sure ain't gonna have no peace, okay? Does a horrible place like that really exist? Well, again, Jesus said in John chapter 14 that if heaven wasn't real, he would have told us so. So it's safe to say that if hell isn't real, he would have told us so also. And as we've seen from the text, oh, he told us, (laughs) it's real. So if you take Jesus at his word, and if you believe that he himself was real, and he existed in the first place, yeah, you're most likely going to believe that hell is a real place. But that's the thing. The entire concept of hell is validated by the crust of what Christianity is all about. What do I mean by that? I mean that in Christian theology, man is born a sinner, there's a life after death, and there's only either heaven or hell where man will spend eternity. And that faith in Christ alone will save him from that hell and that he must read and believe the Bible to activate and maintain that faith. That's Christianity. And it's, it's, it's motivated by not wanting to go to hell. Remember, Romans 10, 7, because that, that part about believing in the Bible and activating, maintaining your faith through reading and staying close to the Bible, that's an important part. Remember, Romans 10, 17 tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You can't know what God wants us to do to avoid hell unless you read the Bible. And Christ's whole purpose for coming to earth was for us to avoid a hellish eternity and instead enjoy a peaceful eternity with God. And that brings up a good point, and that's this, okay? Hear me out here. Hell is full of believers. You're like, what that mean, Rev? Well, put it like this. Once you get to the burning and the gnashing of teeth part, ain't no more atheists at that point, bruh. Because anybody who didn't believe in Christ or who didn't believe that hell was a real place and they died and went to hell, oh, they believe now for sure. But the belief that they have at that point is based on them experiencing the reality of hell firsthand. Saints of God, sometimes people have to experience things before they can believe in them. My dad always says that sometimes you got to punch people in the mouth. People need to be punched in the face before they get it. And he wasn't saying that you actually physically got to punch people in the face. Although he might have been saying that. My dad was the first to be black belt. But more to the point, he was saying, look, sometimes people are so hard-headed that they got to go through stuff and experience it on their own before they believe it. Okay? But when it comes to heaven and hell, that is not an option for the believer. Those former non-believers in hell, they know now when it's too late that surely everything else in the Bible is true, including heaven. Because for them at that point, oh, hell is definitely true. 
So is hell a real place? If you believe what God says and what Jesus say, then yeah, most definitely it's real. And ain't no escaping it except through faith in the redemptive blood that was shed on Calvary by our Lord and Savior. Now, coming up after the break, we're going to talk more in depth about what the Bible has to say about the other destination, or rather, what it says about heaven as being a real physical place, and not just some metaphor or symbol like critics of the faith would have you believe. And we're going to do that when we come back from the break. Diamond Cup Building Maintenance is a privately owned business that provides a wide range of janitorial, floor care, and handyman services for all size commercial businesses. Our services also include deep clean and disinfectant cleaning, which kill harmful germs, including the coronavirus. Our team has over two decades of experience, so we can provide the highest quality of services to our customers. This is why we are a sparkle above the rest. Please join our Facebook page to learn more about us at Diamond Cut Building Maintenance. What's up, y'all? This is Rev Rob, and I'm inviting you to join us live for our weekly online services every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Central, 4 p.m. Pacific. All you have to do is log on at benevolentfaithministries.online.church, and it'll take you directly to the live worship session. Now, if you get there a bit early before service is started, stay and enjoy the fellowship with us and others through the chat system. You can even participate live and chat with our hosts during and throughout the service, as well as take notes and follow along in the Bible section we have available. And you can request prayer or even join Benevolent Faith Ministries itself. Remember, you can log on at benevolentfaithministries.online.church every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern, and we can't wait for you to worship with us. Welcome back to Deeper in the Word. Don't forget, you can follow us on Facebook. Uh, just search for that search box and put in at Benevolent Faith Ministries, and you can like our page and support us. We greatly appreciate it. Also, don't forget, you can join us every Monday morning at 7 a.m. Eastern during our live prayer call line. If you can't make the live call, you can call the prayer playback line, which is 24 hours a day, seven days a week, in order to hear what you may have missed. Um, recently, we've gotten into a situation where people are calling the prayer line not at 7 a.m. on Monday morning, but just randomly throughout the week. And so we're currently coming up with a way to address that because the reality is, you might need prayer right then and there. You can't wait till 7 a.m. Eastern on a Monday morning. Okay, so just know that we're addressing that issue and we'll have more announcements on that coming up at a future date, amen? But today has been all about our final destination, or rather, what the world believes and what the Word of God dictates about heaven and hell as being real, actual places and not just allegories or made up representations of goodness and evil in terms of the ultimate judgment of mankind and where our destinies lie after we leave this earthly plane and yada, yada, yada. And so in our last segment, we outlined some specific examples of biblical texts which speak specifically about the existence of hell, including words on the subject from Jesus, the man himself. Next, we want to focus on the theological concept of heaven. And as we've said repeatedly before, heaven is a much easier concept for people to accept than hell is. Because again, nobody wants to be told that they're going to be judged for the trifling stuff they do. 
even though they are, they don't want to be told that, especially those who are already stuck on themselves and consider the universe to revolve around them and not vice versa. So heaven is a more appealing concept from that standpoint alone. And I'm talking about the standpoint of those who don't believe in Christ and may not even believe in God, but at the very least don't have a relationship with him. And we've discussed what hell is supposed to be like. So what exactly is heaven like? Well, again, we get a pretty good and accurate description from scripture and from Jesus himself. Notice how whenever Jesus spoke about heaven, he didn't talk about rocking white robes or angels with harps floating around on puffy clouds, okay? Instead, he compared it to a wedding reception, which is a joyful party with food and drinks and music and dancing and people celebrating the glory of a loving relationship. That's what a wedding reception is. Shoot, that's what ours was. And if you've ever been to a wedding reception that was lit, that was really enjoying, where the partying was joyful and the celebratory mood permeated throughout the buildings and touched each person, then you already know what Jesus was talking about. By the way, if you ain't caught the symbolism yet, Jesus is the groom at this wedding, and we who comprise the church are his brides. And after the wedding, this is a big party, <laughs> okay? And so for all followers of Christ, this is our future. And hallelujah, nothing or no one in all of creation can take that away from us because Jesus already paid the price of admission for us to attend this wedding reception. Hallelujah. And in that way then, heaven is a place made by Jesus just for his bride, the church. So it was a designated place. Now, specifically with respect to heaven, we begin to see the physical description of the kingdom of heaven beginning with verse 11 of Revelations chapter 21 through 22, chapter 21, verse 1 through 22, verse 4. Okay, we see a description of the dimensions of the city in this text, and the physical description runs from verse 11 to verse 27. And I fully encourage you to read that text in its entirety. And as you do so, I want you to mentally picture the scenes that the author, the Apostle John, is describing. Because he's not making this up. He's very accurate and descriptive in what he's saying. And in these passages of text, he's specifically and very accurately and very vividly describing things like the exact dimensions of heaven. I mean, down to the precise measurements. Okay? He's describing the walls that surround the city and what they're made of, what they were constructed of, and the precious stones used in the construction of the wall, which hang on the wall. He's describing what the streets look like, which is pure gold. He's describing how there ain't no place of worship or a temple in heaven, because every place is a place of worship when you're in the presence of the Lord. Shoot. He's describing how there's no sun or there's no moon, because the glory of God is all the light you need in heaven. And... Arguably, most importantly, he describes who and what won't be there. And that I'm going to read, because again, I encourage you to read Revelations chapter um, 21. And Revelation chapter 21 and 22 that talk about this. I encourage you to read that. But 
I will read Revelation 21, 27, where it describes who and what won't be there. Look at 27. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. In other words, that trifling uncle, that trifling friend you got, they ain't going to be there. Or at least if in, in their trifling state, they won't be there. Now, if they accept Christ and change, they'll be there. But if they're going to stay shameful and deceitful, they're not going. That's what, that's what the text says. So in that way, the Bible describes heaven as a populated place and a perpetual place. And that's important. Why? Well, it's a populated place because it wasn't built just to be the place where God lives. It was built to be the place, to be the city where those saved by grace through Christ can spend eternity with them there. So in that sense, it was built for us. It wasn't built for God to be like, oh, God is so great. He chilled it up here. It was built for us. Okay. So it was a populated, it's a populated place, but it's also a perpetual place because as the text says, the light of the city will never dim or burn out. And, you know, here on earth, people live in these big grandiose mansions with these big manicured lawns and all that good stuff and landscaping and stuff here on earth. But eventually, with the passage of time, those mansions and structures like that are going to eventually rot. Are they going to rust out? Are they going to collapse and crumble into ruins? But our homes in heaven will stand unaffected throughout the endless ages. Why? Because it is a perpetual place. It never ends. The psalmist said it best in Psalm 145, 13. Look at what he said. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. So the question before us all, my friends, is a simple one. Where do you want to spend eternity? Which destiny will you choose? Because some people think that they have truly done so much wrong that there's no way they'd ever be qualified to get into heaven. And I have heard true stories of people who when they were presented with the opportunity to accept Christ, they just couldn't do it because they truly could not grasp the idea that they could actually be forgiven for all the wrong that they had done or for how trifling that they had been living. They found it impossible to believe that they could be forgiven. And since they couldn't forgive themselves, they had no inclination of thinking, why should God forgive me? Well, I can't forgive me. What, what these people need to understand, and fortunately for them, is that the Bible does not line up with that line of thinking. See, people often think that they're going to heaven because they consider themselves to be, quote, a good person. Because look, we just said by contrast, people think they're not going to heaven because they've been trifling and did something that God will never forgive them for. The exact opposite of that is that people think they're going to heaven because they think they've been, quote, a good person. They think that the deeds they've done in their lives determine their eternal destiny. Nah, yo. Jesus said in Luke 18, verse 19, that number one, only God is good. Okay, And then in Romans 3.12, Paul said that none of us can do anything that is good enough to earn heaven. Y'all know I ain't make that up. Look at Luke 18.19. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Remember that. Next time you're feeling yourself. Romans 3.12. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. 
Not even one. Again, Michael Jackson, man in the mirror. Message, listen. (laughs) And as far as people thinking that they've done so much dirt and that there's no way they can ever get into heaven, here's some good news for you folks. Romans 10 verses 9 and 13 tells us that you and I right now, right today, this second, as soon as I end this sentence, can be saved from hell by believing that Jesus died in order to forgive our sins and that he was then resurrected from the dead. And the proof that you really believe that is that you will confess or admit that truth with your mouth. That means everybody, there are no qualifications with this text. It's not exclusive to a certain group of people. Anybody that truly believes in Jesus in their heart and accepts him, that he died for your sins and he was resurrected from the dead, and you say that with your mouthages, with your mouthpiece, anybody who does that will be saved. Again, don't take my word for it. Look at the text, Romans 10, verses 9 to 13. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. All, everyone. How many times did that text say that? Okay, it's just that simple. So ultimately, it's up to you, dog. You choose your final destination based on what you choose to put faith in during this lifetime. Life is totally built around free will. And hey, you got the right to get your TI on and live your life however you see fit. And you also have the right not to believe in the existence of a heaven or a hell at all. That's your right. However, if you do so choose to humble yourself, admit that like most of us, like all of us, you need some divine help and you're willing to ask God to forgive your sins and you're willing to admit that Jesus Christ died and returned to life in order to forgive your sins and you're willing to live your life in accordance with what Christ mandated before he ascended back to heaven, (laughs) then your final destination is assured to be a pleasant one. Amen. Listen, thanks for joining us, y'all. Don't forget, you can subscribe and listen to us on Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Radio Public, Pocket Casts, Overcast, and on Apple Podcasts in the iTunes Store. Also, don't forget, you can find us on the web at benevolentfaithministries.org. Go there, log on right now, learn more about our giving partnerships and how you can be the church without the need for any building. And don't forget, log on this and every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern for our online church services. Just go to benevolentfaithministries.online.church and come fellowship with us. And we'll catch y'all next time. Hello.